Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. It's Eric from IndieWire. And while we like to discuss new movies on this podcast, we also want to remind you that there are some great ones already out there you can check out. And thanks to our sponsors from Vimeo, we can offer you a discount on one really good one this week. If you go to Vimeo.com slash IndieWire, you can watch a movie called She's Lost Control using the promo code ERIC10 for a 20% discount. Frankly, I love this movie. It's a first feature from Anya Markhart and stars this great actress Brooke Bloom as a sex surrogate, but it's not exploitive or titillating. It's a mystery about human behavior and what the meaning of love is. It'll make you rethink that concept. So go check that out. She's Lost Control using the promo code ERIC10, vimeo.com slash IndieWire is the URL, and enjoy the show. Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the deputy editor and chief film critic, joined in Locarno by Ann Thompson, who's been here for something like 24 hours, celebrated her birthday, seen some famous people, explored the Piazza Grande. What do you make of the Locarno Film Festival so far? And I've been coming here for six years. So this thank is... you for being my guide, and thank you for dinner last night, by the way. We yeah, had a good, a good time party. with a group of industryites here in, in uh, Locarno. Yeah, it was a great time, and, and hopefully the next time we talk, you'll have seen some more movies here so we can dig deeper into the program. But I have to say, I mean, I've been here for a week running a, a critics workshop, which you, you visited with your uh, peer, Matt Mueller, the other day, and uh, also seeing movies and, and reviewing titles. And every year I see enough stuff to, to, to write home about and be excited. And, and one of the reasons why is because it's a festival that really goes against the grain of what other larger festivals tend to do, which is focus on movies to to a large extent that have broader appeal. Um, and this festival does that in one section where uh, the general public tends to go to Piazza Grande where you can cram in 8,000 people, lots of locals, to watch um, bigger films. Ricky and the Flash was an opening night entry, for example, but they have bigger films from around the world as well with more kind of like mainstream genres and so forth. But then you have these other sections like Signs of Life, which is... You know, at one festival might be considered an experimental sidebar, but it is usually packed with all kinds of different people who are just cinephiles from all over the world. And um, even the main competition has titles that may be deemed uh, non-commercial in all kinds of different ways. Like Chantal Ackerman. Chantal Ackerman is sort of the antithesis of the idea of the commercial film. And I thought it was it was good, you know, if, if you know what you're getting into with Chantal Ackerman. Her films are, you know, steeped in, in long sort of pregnant pauses, and this one's very much an intimate diary film about her relationship with her mother, and, and it works on that level, I think. Um, but th- there are other films I've seen, uh, going back to the Science of Life section, that have surprised me because I had no idea that they even existed going into the festival. Um, this Catalan filmmaker, Jose Luis Guerin, made a film called The Academy of Muses, which I think is my favorite film here. And I just, just to say something about it really quickly, um, it's it's about a, a professor at the University of Barcelona who is obsessed with the idea of muses in classic literature. And the beginning of the film, it seems like it's just this heady academic discourse and maybe a documentary about this guy. 
it evolves into something else where it seems like maybe he's just using these theories to sleep with his students. And uh, the way it, it turns into this narrative I found to be quite fascinating, but it's also very funny when people call him on it. And um, it's great, but it's also one of the things where you see it and you're like, is anybody ever going to see this movie outside of these kinds of environments? And well, there's then, Scott Peter DeBruch, who's a critic at Variety, who was on this panel that I did today, uh, focusing on some Swiss films. Uh, he suggests that Locarno serves a function of salvaging some of these films right. from the dust heap of ignominy, you know, of, of, of not even being noticed by anyone, and that after they play here, they go on to other festivals, which I thought was, you know, this is true of apparently the Ackermans. Well, absolutely, and I mean, the, the, my main reason for coming here in the first place before I had this workshop I ran was to, to see films that might surface at bigger festivals like, say, Toronto, which is right around the corner and unveiling more and more films on, on a regular basis now, um, and they may, they may show up there and say the wavelength section where some tiny subset of the people at this festival will go see them almost as if it's a separate festival. Now, by the time I get to that festival, we're going to be talking about award season in a different kind of way. A lot way. of different things on your plate. Right. It's yeah. just very difficult. And even if my sensibilities are to go after these things, there's just different kinds of mandates that dictate how I use my time. So in some ways, the fall circuit starts in the summer for me by coming to a place like this and finding these kind of films. A few years ago, I saw Leviathan, not the, the film that was at Cannes last year, but the sort of experimental fishing documentary from the Harvard Ethnographic Lab, which is a really cool movie that actually ended up having kind of a cult following in a way, but it was in the main competition here. So it was one of the most anticipated films uh, of the festival. I just saw a little Greek film called Chevalier. It's just a bunch of guys on a boat for you know an hour and a half playing kind of a goofy game of one-upmanship. Very small, minimalist Greek kind of uh, comedy of sorts, but uh, it was one of the more anticipated films here because people know who this filmmaker is from this film, Attenbridge, he made a few years ago. So it's a different kind of way of seeing what film culture is. And... Frankly, I wish there was more of a U.S. industry presence here. There's, there's one U.S. distributor. Yeah, you know with him last night, exactly. Richard Lorber. Richard Lorber from Keenan Lorber. He just kind of comes here every year. Because um, he hangs out in Paris, yeah. right, where he has a house. And, and if there's a movie he thinks he can release, nobody else is going to try it. He picked up La Sapiens picked up La Sapiens last, last year. year. He got Exhibition from Joanna Hogg, I think, two years ago, something like that. So it's very smart, but it also it just makes me wonder, I mean, with the prol proliferation of digital platforms and... Uh, kind of the idea of a smaller audience being sometimes just enough. Shouldn't more of these movies be finding ways of getting out there? You know, it, it doesn't seem like well, you should just accept that. You're very, you're very accepting of of, of, of the aesthetic, uh, personal, uh, idiosyncratic uh, film. But a lot of times, these filmmakers, especially someone like Chantal Ackerman, they're not really interested in communicating with other people. They're talking to themselves in a way. And, and I do believe that for a film to find a real audience, especially on an international scale, even if it's um, through streaming or some kind of platform like that, it has to have some conversation, some engagement with, a, with an audience. Well, and that's the real issue with a lot of these countries yeah. that subsidize their filmmakers. They allow them, they enable them. This is true in Canada. It's very much a part of why the Canadian God. Forgive me, uh, everyone, but there's a there's a lack of, of outreach in, in a lot of these films in all over the world, um, and, and they don't travel. Well, I think in except some, to festivals. I wonder though if that there's like a bigger cultural problem too with it, the idea that 
they need to travel. I mean, maybe we should just we should be more open to seeking them out. I mean, it's just it seems like we have the luxury of going to all these festivals right. and finding them. The the rest of you know, it, it, it's an interesting question. I just keep it, perhaps this year because I've been traveling so much mm-hmm. because I went to Colombia. Right. Um, I'm here in Switzerland for the first time. Yeah. Um, and I'm about to go to Sarajevo for the first time. Um, I'm just more. Uh, and when I was in Karl Vivar, I was studying the the Czech Republic that that year. Uh, and when I went to Russia, I was studying their cinema for that year. What you know, they think they're making these fabulous movies, mm-hmm. and some of them are, mm-hmm. but they they really are, are are so limited in scope in terms of of, of who they're talking to. Well, and also, I mean, I wouldn't blame the movies as much as I might blame some aspect of the way that the film industry operates first. That's know? what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm not blaming the movies. I'm blaming the. I'm saying, in a weird way, as as benighted as some people think America is, mm-hmm. um, you think if there's it? a if there's a market, there's a demand for an yeah. audience. There is no subsidy. Right. Right. On the other hand, other parts of the world are better at supporting their filmmakers, at least get their films made, than we are. And women so. filmmakers, among others, by yes. the way. Yes, absolutely. Like the, the Greek, film, Greek film, a Greek filmmaker can make a movie about a bunch of guys. When does that happen in the United States? Um, but I did see a film that I thought, uh, which has been picked up, it turns out, um, by Oscilloscope. Uh, called Above and Below. Uh, I saw two docs that I liked a lot. And, both from uh, Switzerland. Both from Switzerland. And so it was. Uh, this one is a film about uh, people who live underground in a sort of homeless, uh, marginal state. One of uh, it's a group. It's, it's, it's parallel stories, and uh, it's a guy named Nicholas Steiner who, who's basically it's a second film. Very stylish, very good chops. This, this guy. And this was in Rotterdam originally, right? right? And, and maybe some, a couple other places. I think it was Doc NYC. Or Hot Docs. Hot Docs. That's it, right. yeah. And yes, and that's actually coming out. And um, I keep hearing people talk about it, which is interesting. I mean, it's ironic that of the films you've seen so far. It was all English language. It yeah. was all set in America. Right. You know. And yet it's one of the it's Swiss. It's a Swiss film. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of Swiss films that they that they just sort of have to recognize because it's a Swiss festival. And so the, it, there's like a stigma. He's a homegrown guy. And, yeah. You know, he came out of film school. And then the other one was from, it's called The... The day the sky, the, the, the day the sun fell, and so it's about uh, Hiroshima, but it's also this woman uh, filmmaker who is happens to be Swiss German speaker, but her parents come from Japan, her grandparents, and so she goes to Japan and interviews them and, and talks about what happened in Hiroshima, and then again in the course of making this very personal, intimate film, Fukushima happens. Oh, and wow. the problems with the nuclear reactor there. Not so a good like thing, a cycle. but a kismet yeah. and a cycle. Yes, just for the film, in terms of its resonance and, and the message that it's sending, in terms of the dangers that the Japanese are facing. Again, while the government keeps secret, a lot of the problems with radiation. Wow, so is this something that you think could also Absolutely. Absolutely. This was a world premiere. It's a world premiere, right? So, I mean, that that's actually really fascinating because... There aren't a lot of buyers here, but a film like this is available on you know, festival scope and things like that. So maybe by virtue of just talking about it right now, it's right on the yeah. anniversary. Yeah. It's it's a it's a it's a and I wasn't the I mean the other film the other people on the panel today liked it too. Yeah, and it's interesting too. It's not like like Cannes and a lot of sort of cinephile centric festivals. Documentaries don't end up being or more traditional documentaries don't end up being sort of the focal point. 
So it's interesting to hear about one like that. So maybe maybe I need to make some room in my schedule for, for one more movie before I go off on a, on a little uh, I love it. You're heading into George Clooney land. Yeah, you, I'm you heading to Lake Como. Your girlfriend heading off to Lake Como. Yeah, by the time you hear this, I'll be in a, in a, in a world that has nothing to do with, with cinema in, in the most uh, immediate sense. But in the meantime, we, there's a few other things going on in Locarno worth talking about outside of the movies, like the events. You've sped off to uh, hear... Mr. Chimino speak. I have to admit that I was very curious about it, and, and, and there are some reasons for that. One is that I am say that so... Michael Chimino was given like a sort of a special tribute. award. Yeah, you know, a tribute. Yeah, so his films have been playing, and he's been going to see all of his right. own films. He sat through Heaven's Gate last night, which is unbelievable, because <laughs> a lot of people I know wouldn't sit through I <laughs> saw it when it first came out, and the reason I saw it when it first came out was that I was working at United Artists in the publicity department. This was like my first job out of college. And it was, first <laughs> I remember vividly the, uh, the screening, uh, the first screening of that movie where everyone understood immediately that it had died a big death up there. It was a dead fish. It was cold and inert. That movie was not a movie that came to life on the big screen. And it fascinates me that the journalists and critics that Michael Cimino loathes and despises right. and will put down at any opportunity. Uh, he said some terrible things at the journalists at this uh, Q&A yesterday. A Q&A he hijacked uh, and went on for two hours. Everybody kept telling him it was over, and he said, no, it's not. They wouldn't move, you know? Huge party. But it's funny because I wonder, you know, it's been like Kevin's Gate. I mean, what is it, like three hours and 45 minutes long or something like that? It almost sounds like, by today's standards, that's just sort of like a miniseries. And you wonder, if, you know, what, what is it about Heaven's Gate that makes it not work? Because there are people who really love that movie now. I mean, it's, it kind of has a second life now on DVD, especially since it's been restored. He's yeah. an impeccable filmmaker. And, one of the, you know, I was fa- as I said, I was fascinated to, to listen to him because you can see the, the two, a combination of, of attributes that he has that on the one hand lend him to be a brilliant filmmaker and on the other lend him to go completely overboard and to, to his own detriment. So so he was pursuing authenticity and he was pursuing this perfectionism that sometimes dogs people like mm-hmm. David Fincher or Michael Mann. He wanted to make this literary period drama that also felt real incredibly to the point where he was going crazy with re- replicating authentic underwear that no one mm. would ever see and details yeah. of the sets that no one would understand. Yeah. He wasn't, it, it sounds a little bit like what our dear buddy, Monsieur um, Signor Inaritu is going through right, up, up with, with the Revenant. Yeah. So he doesn't want to do a CG. He wants yeah. it to be authentic. Be you know, where, where, is, where is the line? And this was, I mean, how long after Deer Hunter was this? Just well, he had won the Oscar. Right. And it so, had been a very early effort as a right. filmmaker. Uh, he had done Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, right. which is a terrific movie, right. which very, I highly recommend. By, and by The Deer Hunter is a great movie. Yeah, played on the piazza here. Even in the middle of, of a huge rainstorm, I, I passed through and I saw there were still people who stuck around because it's just so gripping and intense. And, and his passion is still there. He, he he got very his you know passionate about the, how the the whole question of anti-war uh, sentiment would hold true today. You know, he, he still feels very strongly about that. I mean, it seems like the you know the world changed a lot 
in, in the years since he stopped making movies. It's not like it's just that the industry doesn't allow for a Chimino pay. It's more just that Chimino is his own kind of special problem. In some well, ways. no, I, I think what happens is our industry creates these monsters where, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying this about Inaritu specifically because right. I'm very fond of him Mon- and I love talking to him. I'm, I'm saying in general, um, I think he's a brilliant filmmaker. I don't want anyone to think that I'm calling him a monster, but what happens... He might be a little crazy. It's he okay. might be. What happens is that people become... Uh, victims of their success and if you win the Oscar and you're told you're a goddamn genius by everyone who comes your way it can have an impact but it's okay some people handle it better than others too right but then you go to town on your following film that's what happens and the, or you go make a superhero movie that's that's the other paradigm right <laughs> we've been down that path before so the other thing that's going on is the uh, Amy Schumer came Amy Schumer came for train with train wreck and it turns out that with your sister 20th Century Fox um, no Universal sorry Universal right. uh, was uh, it became the, the starting off point of their junket tour mm-hmm. for that film and that was very fortunate for for Carnot to be able to do that big because mm-hmm. they know it's going to play in that big eight thousand well seat of course I mean Piazza. they lucked out because that was the first day where they thought it might rain. If it does rain, they have an indoor location, but that doesn't keep the studio happy because that, that the theater is not nearly as grand and, and visually sumptuous and, and uh, you know, viable as, as the piazza, so that worked out really well for them. Though I think what's really fascinating about Amy Schumer in Europe is that you talk to people, it's like, they know she's a, a famous, funny person from the States. Inside Amy Schumer, not a huge thing here. You're so not she's gonna, not, it's not an established star. No, and you're not going to read think pieces about, you know, what does Amy Schumer represent? It's like, you know, new kind of like feminist possibility. Yeah. I mean, none of that happens here. They just say, say oh yeah, it's this like pretty funny blonde woman in this movie about somebody who has problems and deals with them. You're not going to read any questions about, you know, is this movie portraying the, her experience in a way that, that is, isn't letting her... Be Amy Schumer, the like like our colleague here, that said, or something like. I mean, you're just not seeing those kinds of things, and in some ways that makes it even more of a commercial movie. So I mean, I guess it's probably opening this week. In, That's right. You know, around, That's around right. Europe. She, she, I think she's in Berlin well. now. Right. So doing she's the Berlin circuit. Yeah. 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 But this is really what they're doing. In fact, Universal is is they're paying for this uh, woman to become uh, known. By the international press, this is the, right. and the international audience, they're launching her. Yeah, well, and it also raises a question going back to what we were just saying, whether or not that's a good thing. I mean, it, should she be the, the ginormous superstar with the crazy amount of pressure to perform against ridiculous expectations? And the expectations aren't as high here. I mean, they're, right. they're they're hoping to have uh, with a comedy. Right. You don't really expect big returns for an American it's comedy and in international. Yeah. Totally different set of expectations. Right. right. So whatever she does next, will invite they're to obviously it. banking on her becoming a Huge. star here. Huge. Yeah. I mean, maybe they'll cast her as, as Wonder Woman or something. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Wonder Woman is all about being able to fit into the tight bodice. Exactly. Well, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Anything's possible. So the other news we have is Toronto news yeah. today. Yeah, it just keeps on coming, and some announcements are bigger than others, but uh, the one today about the docks uh, was pretty significant. You just got off the phone with, with our pal, and 
regular Screen Talk listener, Tom Powers, you do. Who lectured me about not typing. I want everyone to know I'm nowhere near a computer keyboard at the moment. Right now, He's got me under his gaze. Yeah, very important. We're, we're paying attention. <laughs> I can't look anything up. <laughs> so My memory so is going to have to suffice. Yeah. Uh, basically, um, there's a lot of music docs coming. Um, and uh, Amy Berg has a Janis Joplin documentary. Uh, Gosh, she really cranks them out. She, she's amazing. She's incredibly pro- prolific. Uh, Alex Gibney, the other prolific filmmaker, produced it. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be for sale uh, in Toronto. And uh, there's a woman who recreates her voice and reads her letters, which is sort of interesting. Oh, which is in the same year as that Nina Simone doc. That's right. Like it, there's yeah. a lot of those kind of approaches going. And there's, uh, there's, I didn't realize that inside, uh, this is not a doc, I'm just free associating, the uh, uh, Malala uh, documentary by Davis Guggenheim. Name you Malala, yeah. Correct. Uh, he, he uses animation in that, hmm. in that one. Well, so well. Yeah, it's a big budget documentary, right? I mean, it's uh, is it Searchlight? It's I believe it's going to, I suspect, debut in Telluride. It does, it is. We're not breaking any news here. We're just sort of. You know, this is what we hear. It, it seems likely these sort of things. I mean, look, it's the kind of movie that it's going to be part of the awards conversation as a documentary because it's a guy who's won it before and makes big movies and gets a lot of people to support them, and it's a big issue-driven kind of a thing. So, um, but they took that movie to Syria, which was a big deal. Which is fascinating. Yeah. I mean, they're putting themselves in the line of just any. I mean, what I understand is anything, anytime she appears in public, it's a big security issue. Oh, yeah. But she does this. I mean, she was on The Daily Show a bunch of times and things like that. I mean, it's it'll be interesting in, in Toronto to see how that publicity element breaks down exactly. in certain ways. Yeah. Uh, so that's a very high-profile one. Um, the Barbara Koppel has a new... A new movie, Miss uh, Sharon Jones. Apparently, I did, I, I'm a big fan of Sharon Jones and the Dad mm-hmm. Kings R&B uh, star. I didn't realize that this movie's about her battle with cancer. Oh, interesting! And a big comeback uh, concert. Oh wow! Okay. Well, it's always nice when you, you get those kinds of things because you know you're going to get one thing that's appealing, which is some music going into it. I mean, even like with Ricky and the Flash, I felt like there was that thing where it's like, even if the movie doesn't work. The music is so good that you're going to get something out of it. But something in a documentary like this, it's like if they have access to some element that you can't get through the music, it's kind of hard to go wrong unless it's just not well made or something like that. And Morgan Neville uh, goes back to the guy who won for 20 Feet from Stardom, the Oscar. Uh, he goes back to music world with Yo-Yo Ma and the Silk Road, which is a group that travels around the world. Gosh, it almost sounds... It musicians. Al- it almost sounds like they're trying to steal South by Southwest Thunder. They have a whole section on music documentaries like 24 beats for, per second. So. Well, apparently there were so many great docs being submitted this year. I mean, they already announced Michael Moore, you know, at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and then you also have the uh, Canadian docs that have been announced. There are 31 documentaries, which is like 10 more than usual. That's why ten more than because last Toronto year. Really they've had this no, they've had this many in the past, but this oh, really? was ten more than last year. Oh, I see. Okay, well then I take back my snap yeah. remark about yeah. more movies. I apologize, <laughs> but more movies is always a daunting at a festival. I like know that. we can't. It's from our perspective. I mean, the, the audiences spoiled. have a lot to choose from, and we have to figure out what we're covering. Exactly. Yeah. No, exactly. I mean, the, but the other thing that I think is interesting is that I mean. It, it, there really is a market for documentaries in, in Toronto, and the documentary film circuit isn't quite the same sort of thing, you know, outside of that. Um, there's a community of people who go to places like True False or Hot Docs, and, and they're very active, and careers can be launched or supported through those platforms. But at Toronto, 
you can see some real deals go down in a bigger way for some of these movies. And, so. and a lot of these movies are, are for sale, actually. Now, one of the films that was already seen um, in Cannes is Kent Jones' Hitchcock Truffaut, which right. I, still I can't wait to loved, see I have to say. Uh, that one, um, it, it's a real cinephile uh, uh, examination of that famous conversation that was turned into a, a book, and anybody who loves Hitchcock or Truffaut will get a kick out. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing that. It's a fascinating book, and, and um, you know, movies about movies are really hard to do in a way that doesn't just preach to the choir or doesn't belong as a supplementary feature on a DVD. And the way you and a few others have spoken about a film like this, it sounds like it's a little more innovative. Well, the good news is that Kent Jones, who can be a bit of a, of a uh, what shall we say, a, an air, airy, uh, erudite um, uh, to, uh, relatively uh, academic uh, yes. pursuer of the, of the fantastic cinephile mm -hmm. uh, concerns. Mm -hmm. He makes it to totally accessible. Yeah, yeah. No, Even absolutely. I could understand this movie. I mean, and, that, and that's you know also the work of a good film critic, I think, is, is to open things up rather than only speak to the narrow group of people who are... Well, he's not full. He wants there to be an audience. Right, so. right. And then, of course, Frederick Wiseman, who's, what, 90 now, something like that, has got a new movie in Jackson Heights, which is, you know, I mean, his movies are always... He, he captures a place, Boxing, did, for example, just a couple of years ago. Or, or, or a, a hospital. Or, or an art gallery yeah. or something like that. And I just, I just love that, that he's still, he's still at it because... These movies aren't purely observational, I mean, they have a real sense of, of it pulling you into the subject matter. There really is an auteur behind the camera, giving you moments, giving you atmosphere. I mean, I don't know the running time yet on this one. Uh, they tend to go kind of long, and it's hard to see them in a festival environment. But I just, I love filmmakers like that who show you the consistency of their way of seeing the world each time out. So I'm no, excited about, about that and, one. And, and then Amazing Grace has a fascinating backstory. This is from this Sidney Pollack. Well, the late Sidney Pollack, back after Woodstock came out, we're talking, you know, like 1969 or something. Yeah, which Martin um, Scorsese uh, was one of the cameramen, yeah. yeah. Um, and a lot of people, uh, a lot of people behind the camera there, uh, they, they, they went and filmed Aretha Franklin. Uh, with a gospel choir, and as I've seen, I happen to have seen some of the footage from this. I haven't seen the final version of the film, hmm. but the 16 millimeter and the sound weren't synced up properly, and it's been on the shelf for years in a vault. Huh. And they finally have taken this filmmaker, um, Alan Elliott, has taken the uh, time and energy and devotion required to sync up this movie and make it into a film. That sounds amazing. I mean, I, I've never really had a chance to watch older films at a place like Toronto, but just given that backstory, it almost sounds like this is really a new film. It's just that people haven't had a chance to see it. And from a filmmaker who's no longer with us, too. I can tell you from the footage I saw that it's Aretha at her absolute uh, best. You know, the young Aretha. Right. So the, you can just see the, the power of, it was, of, 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 her, of her voice. So one other one we might want to talk about is Just Sweet Charlie. Um, from a pair of French directors, Emmanuel Leconte and, and Daniel Leconte. Um, that feels very recent. So, you know, I mean, this, that tragedy was not too long ago, where you know, whereas, um, you know, some of these other films... They've been in the works for a yeah, long time. So this is a very recent, ripped from the headlines yeah. kind of examination. So, that, you know, the kind of immediacy of, of a film like that, it just makes me want to see it from the outside. I know 
I don't know anything about it, so it's always hard to tell. And Vim Vendors uh, produced uh, a, a movie called Our Last Tango, uh, a German-Argentinian film about these famous couple who, who uh, have been on Broadway and are involved behind the scenes in a tumultuous relationship right. with the most famous tango dancers. In the world. Oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. But yes, it really is music all over the place. And uh, Jillian Armstrong is back. With, uh, this is about a costume designer. Woman, he's um, undressed. Satan. Yeah, it's an Australian costume designer who worked, uh, Kelly, Ori Kelly, who worked in uh, in America, in Hollywood, and, and some of the, his story. Uh, a gay costume designer. Gosh, so many movies. And the crazy thing is that it, it, this, this lineup could, in certain places, be a lineup of a festival into itself, like for example, also programmed by Tom Doc NYC. Like that would be a lot of movies to take in. It's one small fragment of this bigger thing, and you know we can get deeper into this topic later. But I think for a lot of people, don't quite get it. Like why are there so many movies at Toronto? Because we're going to be announcing more on the site in the coming days. There's going to be that that new competition uh, section. Um, yeah, the Midnight Films and the World Cinema. And then as well. Discovery, so, and then the TV maybe, stuff. Maybe, and there's the TV section, which, which premieres television series from around the world to, right. for people to see for the first time. I mean, you've been going to Toronto for, for a long, 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 much longer than me. I've always found it to be overwhelming, and I don't hold it against people. All you can do is get a slice. Get a slice. In some ways, it's a good representation of just how cluttered the marketplace is. People are complaining about it. But uh, yeah, in the world of, of VOD, you know, when we were talking about radius last week, yeah. the whole question of, of what's going on with all this glut of product hitting right. uh, VOD and how it can be distinguished and how it can be uh, disseminated in right. any kind of intelligence. And then way. you almost feel like, you know, you can only do so much to talk about movies when, even as you fight to get word out about the things you're seeing. There's maybe two or three that you can actually get people to see in various, you know, small windows of time when they come out. Like, for example, Mistress America is opening this week. I would recommend people see it. It's pretty Me funny. Me too. Yeah, I good. love the film. There's just so many other things I want to talk about because I talked about that movie six months ago when it was at Sundance. Well, and, we're supposed you know. to be a little bit ahead of the curve, yeah. but I highly recommend Mistress America. And I'm concerned, by the way, the Diary of a Teenage Girl isn't doing better yeah. at the box office. Now, that doesn't mean it's not going to pick up word of mouth and people aren't going to talk about it and get going on it. And you, Sony you, will hang in there with it and, and support it. It's you not, went to that because it, it's another sort of... I think it's, these are the yeah. two films I liked best at, at Sundance. But you're not worried that it's people. like a women's thing? That I'm says, concerned yeah. that women uh, critics like it a lot better than men. But is there, maybe there's also some kind of problem in the marketing because I mean, if women, so many women go to movies. Like fifty percent of movie tickets is the statistic that's cited all the time, and yet, are they not promoting these movies to that demographic well enough? My or? hunch is that a movie that I am celebrating because it represents a picture, a portrait of female sexuality, unlike any I've ever seen before. Sure. At the same time is going to be threatening and uncomfortable for many people. And they're afraid of that, and that's the issue. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm curious also to see there's how no stars involved, out. really. I mean, you know, we'll have more opportunities to keep coming back to something like Diary of a Teenage Girl, and if it's, if it's the kind of thing that sort of in the conversation and as word stuff builds up and not quite, I'd be curious to see if a company like Sony Classics, yeah, they know what they're doing, but I mean, they tend to focus on the things that 
are gathering momentum? Will they keep going with this one? Or will they veer off into the other things that seem to have more robust opportunities? Well, they did open it in the summer for a reason. They're giving mm-hmm. it room to breathe. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and they do a traditional platform release, so it'll keep opening and yeah. it'll gather more word of mouth and so forth. So The reviews are very good. Right. Well, it's nice of us to kind of come around to an optimistic possibility. There, there are more chances for these things to get out there. So I guess I'll just, like, jet off to, to my little uh, spot with Clooney over in Como, and, and you'll hang out <laughs> here a bit longer. And when we reconvene next week, we'll have more Toronto things to talk about, a little more Oscar stuff. Hey, maybe we can start uh, speculating about Telluride that Intel keeps uh, swirling about. So if anybody has any good tips, they know where to find us. And until then, and enjoy the rest of your time here. Thanks. You too. Trees, we have fun, we have fun, we have fun when we please. Hey guys, it's Eric again. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Just a quick reminder to go to vimeo.com slash IndieWire, or if you're listening to this podcast and article on IndieWire, you can check out this movie that's at the top of the page. In any case, I want you to watch this film called She's Lost Control because I really like it, and you can get a 20% discount using my name, 20. That's Eric, 20. So go to vimeo.com slash IndieWire. The film's called She's Lost Control. It's a really nifty little character study, and I hope you'll check it out. We'll see you next week. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.